Hello and welcome to the Sovereign Collective Podcast, where we bring you real raw truth for your self-empowerment. I'm your host, Sasha Calavota, and I believe that you can stand on your own two feet, but that you don't have to do it alone. I love learning from people who continually strive to raise the bar, to go against mainstream thinking, and who dare to question the general consensus. People are risking ridiculed or even risk the loss of their professional status as they bravely question the common narratives and challenge the rest of us to expand our minds and to reconsider what we think we already know. Join me in learning how to take control of your health and your mind so that you can have the energy to think more clearly and the confidence to step up and take responsibility for all aspects of your life. We promise to never censor here because I believe you are strong enough to hear the real raw truth to make up your own mind. If you like what you find here at the Sovereign Collective Podcast, then please share with your friends and family. And please also consider making a small donation on my Patreon page so that I can continue to bring you amazing content so that we can all create a better future. I so appreciate you. Thank you for tuning in. And now, on to the show. Hello, everyone. This is Sasha Calavota with another episode of the Sovereign Collective Podcast. And today, I have the pleasure to have with me Elena Tonetti-Vladimirova of birthintobeing.com. And we are definitely going to be sharing some empowering, beautiful information with you today. Elena Tonetti is, a, or Elena, let's just go with Elena, is a, the pioneer or is a pioneer of the, the birth movement, being one of the organizers of the birth camps in the mid 80s to late 80s, the Black Sea in Russia, where women gave birth in shallow lagoons outside with wild dolphins. How amazing is that? Unfortunately, that was shut down, but there were many, many women that were able to experience a beautiful way to get a beautiful way to give birth and a lot of children, human beings coming into the world that way. Just beautiful, beautiful experience. She's also a visionary and founder and director of Birth Into Being, an international organization dedicated to conscious evolution and the creation of a thriving future based on love, compassion, and common sense. Something we need a lot more of, all of those three things. She's the director of the movie Birth As We Know It, a beautiful movie. Anyone who has given birth or is going to get pregnant or is is pregnant right now, this is a movie I highly recommend to demonstrate to you how peaceful birth can be, how uneventful it can be, how joyful and orgasmic it could be, rather than those messages that we get on TV and all media and movies with these screaming, dramatic, painful events. Birth can be something completely, completely different. So this is a movie, Birth As We Know It. If you want to look look into that, I would highly recommend it. And you can find it on her website, birthintobeing.com. I had the pleasure of personally meeting Elena many, many years ago when I organized a Olympic imprint recoding birth shop here in Calgary once upon a time. And we're going to tell you what that is all about because why I asked Elena today to speak with me is because I'm very concerned. I've said this in other podcasts. I'm very concerned about the lack of advocacy for our children or, and also the imprinting and the programming that is going on in our children. I'm very concerned as to what that's going to look like 10 years from now, 15 years from now, if things continue as they are going, because these formative year for children, years for children when they're younger has a massive impact, humassive, this is my word, humassive, humassive impact on who they become as adults and whether they feel right in this world and what kind of experiences that they attract as a result. So Elena, thank you so much for being with me today. I am so looking forward to our conversation. I know you have so much beautiful wisdom to share. So thank you. Thank you. It is my pleasure to have the opportunity to speak. So 
let's first talk about your history before we get into the meat of the conversation today, because you have a very uh, interesting history with birth camps and the water birth and conscious birth and something that you, I, from what I remember in the past, never thought you'd have anything to do with back in the day. Right? Am I right? If I remember that correctly? Yeah, yeah. I was an actress, a young actress in Moscow. The whole world was my for taking, you know, it was this ambitious um, young thing um, that could not even imagine a life outside theater. And all of a sudden, due to a set of circumstances, I ran into this uh, amazing man, Igor Cherkovsky, who is a very controversial figure, uh, nevertheless, very powerful, very um, different than everybody else, who was running with this idea of placing women uh, for delivery of their babies in the water. And uh, in the beginning, I just rolled my eyes. But then uh, I promised uh, to somebody I respected to hear him. Because again, it's a long story, but somehow I was in the position to offer help um, to people. And um, I gave him 20 minutes and ended up listening for four hours. And by the end of uh, the fourth hour, I was completely converted. I changed my whole life and, and um, made this commitment to help women birth well, whether it's in water, whether it's at the Black Sea, whether it's in the hospital, whether it's uh, however they want to do it. I wanted to do what I can to help them bring some consciousness into the people making practice that is out of hand right now, is mm. uh, uh, the mess that we see out there right now. Our civilization, our very species is in crisis right now. It's uh, really, um, we got ourselves in a pickle. <laughs> we do. <laughs> and this is basically a result of very, very abusive birthing practices. And we have to start somewhere. The, the way things are, are because such are men. The way to change the way things are is through the way we make men. Mm. And for that, we need to really, really reach out to women because men are doing all these crazy things because there was the fundamental absence of a loving, nurturing, supportive, understanding, warm mother that was role modeling the compassion, the quality of presence, the quality of connection that is mother's responsibility to teach her son. So we can blame all those little boys that grew up and became rulers of this world, but where were their mothers? 
looking at them, I can tell, of course, anybody who knows how to read body language and, and hear between the words, I can tell that none of them was breastfed. None of them was held or, or had their needs met the way a little small, any small creature needs to have their needs met. This is a major tragedy. And the thing is, it's not just limited by um, the formative period after the birth. It turns out that the main impact of the imprint is happening during gestation, during nine months of pregnancy, when the fetus is literally floating in the amniotic cocktail of mother's hormones. So if she is disoriented, confused, malnourished, anxious, this is literally what the baby's body is being made of. And then the birth itself unfolds um, very, um, very stuttering is the word, it, it stutters. It doesn't know how to unfold because if a woman is disempowered, if she doesn't really know who she is, if she's not passionate about this new life that she's gifting the world with, mm -hmm. it's going to affect the way her cervix are not able to open. You see, that, that supreme intelligence, I'm not calling it God, I'm not calling it, it's it in my understanding. There is some kind of supreme intelligence that created our bodies because the more we look at the bodies, we can't really hold some random, bumping of atoms and molecules attribute to such immense humassive as you put it <laughs> complexity of the human body it, it's uncanny we, we don't really know much about the body that's the whole point that with with everything that we know we cannot explain the very moment of conception and we never went further than that. We can observe the stages of development when the cell divides, when, but we know nothing about really how does that cell know how to divide and how to start building perfectly formed arms and legs and organs and eyes and every, every hair in this beautifully formed body is in the right place. If a woman is in in alignment with her mission of becoming a portal for this miracle that did not exist in the three-dimensional reality. Mm -hmm. She is offering her body as a portal for that, that what did not exist to come through and become a form. There is nothing short of magic and, and, and mystery and we keep treating it as it's like, oh, she's pregnant. Oh, there's another person. Oh, it's too many people here. 
No, yeah. there's <laughs> no such thing. If anything is coming through, it is driven by the immense power that is behind the capacity to manifest a form out of formlessness. So every life form is a mystery and is precious. And if only we understood that one thing and start treating each other with that much uh, reverence, that, would, that has the ability to change the quality of our civilization and have some respect for people who are walking the earth because that would imply that we would treat a pregnant woman as the, the, the right hand of the creation itself. The, I feel really privileged that I'm a woman, that I was able to be a mother and brought forth the life that now I have two grandchildren and it's oh. an incredible joy to watch them learn and ask their endless whys <laughs> do my best to hang in there for dear life you know to keep up with them but um, that's the thing that uh, the imprinting that is happening in the limbic part of our brain starts from the moment of conception amazingly enough somehow there is a part of us that remembers everything about how we were made and not only that we remember how our mother was made because the egg that became me was inside my mother when she was still inside of her mother wow. so my dna carries all the information of what my grandmother was going through and vice versa she was carrying everything that her great-grandmother was going through. And this is like Russian matryoshka doll, where we're all so interconnected. And everything that was happening in my lineage is in my DNA, is in my memory. And if we bring into the, this equation all the fear and malnourishment and pain that our former mothers endured when they were, you know, go, going through plagues and um, domestic violence, which was quite uh, a norm before. They went through wars, through, through all kinds of unspeakable things that they shouldn't be witnessing, but they did. So it's all in me. And I realized that my desire not to have children, when I was uh, a young woman, I was very clear that I'm not gonna have children because multiplying misery was not on my list of virtues. And I really um, just had nothing to do with wanting to, to, to do that part of being a woman. But then I realized that this is something I need to look into because if I'm just running away and being driven by my own birth trauma and making that decision on the um, absence of 
knowledge about how things work in the body, then it's not the right place to make that big decision from. You know, I wanted to make that decision from the place of power. If I would were to neutralize my own birth trauma and still decide not to have children, then I know that that truly is not my um, destiny. That I would be, you know, better used by by the source from which I came um, in some other capacity. But then, as I was uh, looking into my own story and how my my foremothers never knew love that love was not part of their description of the world like as far as i could see there was uh, absolute absence of just basic human warmth and compassion and um, sense of safety. None of them had it. So I was really at some point set to free myself from that curse that kept me very lonely, very separated. I didn't have any friends. I didn't have any anybody who would be interested in listening to me or and I actually didn't have anything to say I was just quite dormant until uh, I, I was kind of running on this um, on this personal power that came as a package I was endowed with um, a lot of physical strength and and good looks <laughs> and I was milking it <laughs> really you know I didn't have my heart activated but I really knew how to how to like make my way through the day and feel in charge like in control and feel like um, I I I am the master of my life and my world I was making choices I was you know but then I realized that all those choices were not bringing me happiness mm. that were they were not bringing me the connection that deep down I was craving that I had a lot of men in love with me but I couldn't feel it I knew it but I could not feel it and it was very um, lonely in that place. So I listened to when Igor Cherkovsky was speaking about the, the imprinting that has to do with intimacy and ability or inability to connect and love somebody. I was listening. Mm -hmm. I suddenly realized that this is the door that I need to go through. So I started working with him and working with pregnant women. And it was, well, it's a very long answer to your question. <laughs> <laughs> but, yes. um, 
but it's important to understand because my story is the majority of women's story. You know, I think at this point it's only about 98% of women who have the innate ability to love that is not um, switched into dormant mode. See, it, it is in our, in our, it's in the package, but everything is, everything is. And ability to love is there too. And ability to see like an eagle and smell like a dog and know the direction like a bird. You know, it's only 300 genes that separate us from a cat who knows how to give birth, who knows how to be sovereign being. Out of 30,000 genes, only 300 are different from any other mammal and that difference is not at the expense of our sensory apparatus not at the expense of our reproductive system because uh, those major major um, qualities and capacities and equipment that we have it can be compromised but it can be recovered so this is the basic premise of my approach that very uh, few types of damages are permanent, that most of them have emotional and psychological nature. It's, it's only when it's like real mechanical damage to organs and, and brain, then, you know, then we have to um, fulfill our destiny through other venues but if there was no mechanical or chemical damage directly then we literally can re-sculpt ourselves we are very pliable there is uh, this new buzzword in, in new neurobiology plus neuroplasticity mm -hmm. we literally can make a decision and start making different choices. But that thing about making that decision, you know, the first step we need to like want to, to do something about the way things are, not just keep going on autopilot. Mm -hmm. You see, when we're going on autopilot, that was imprinted, what we absorbed with the mother's milk or mother's amniotic fluids, it, whether it's a victim mentality, it's just this addiction to suffering, addiction to um, being on autopilot. That's addiction too. The addiction not to participate in life because participation means you actually have to take responsibility for yourself and for your life and for those in your care. And who wants responsibility? Only a person who is in alignment with the, with the source that inspired that spirit to walk the earth, to embody, to, to become arms and legs and eyes and ears and lips, to speak, to, to 
kiss to to do something with that you know it's a very small window of um, opportunity to really to own the body and when we have the body it is our responsibility to do whatever we came here to do and it's really really awesome really exciting because um we didn't go through all this trouble through all those pimply teenage confusion <laughs> all those years of when we you know were driven by hormones we didn't go through all this trouble of being born and and you know recovering uh, our our power we didn't just do that for nothing there is really no such thing as nothing because if nothing we simply wouldn't be born there is such an incredible odyssey of just even for the sperm to find the egg it's like if you look into their like like that precious moment of their meeting it's not explainable it's against all theories of relativities that that particular sperm found that particular egg because because you know, the vaginal uh, mucus is actually toxic for sperm. And not only that, it's really dark there. He doesn't know where to go. <laughs> there is really, you know, the fact that one of them, or maybe a handful, maybe five or six, find that opening at the end of the vaginal uh, tube that is the size of two sperm hands. The fact that they managed to find it. And then, you know, the egg is there waiting only two days out of the month. And if they manage to find her, then it's the greatest mystery because her membrane is the most unpenetrable wall in this three-dimensional reality. That membrane was protecting her through all the years of her existence since the woman that carries it was a fetus herself. So all these years, that membrane was responsible for not letting anything in. It really was <laughs> designed well because you know there is a lot of stuff laying around we don't want anything to harm that amazing mind-blowingly complex computer that inside the egg it is literally like the whole universe in there and to penetrate to to activate the nucleus of that molecule it's it's uh uh, it's one cell, uh, uh, it's one cell, that egg. It's the biggest cell in the known world, but it's nevertheless just one cell. And to be invited inside and, and connecting that, that his nucleus and her nucleus connect and, oh boy. miracle it is a miracle and and then she has to set up on this odyssey another one to 
find the uterus, travel through the enormous length to, to find that wall of the uterus to attach herself. And then she has to attach successfully that she doesn't detach accidentally halfway through. And then she starts, starts building the new person. Mm -hmm. Like, go, go explain that. Like, what in the world is that power that drives it? And that, in my understanding, simply is not possible if there is no spirit's intention to own a body for this short time, as long as it lasts. Whether it lasts a year or a hundred years, it doesn't matter. There is something that the spirit wants to accomplish. And who is to say how long is human life is supposed to last? But I think that it's just a matter of sensing the completion. Mm. So, yeah. So. Okay, it is mirac miraculous, and that's. When I got pregnant, I was thinking, why don't people talk about this? This is a really big deal, which is where all my extra research, I thought I had, you know, learned a lot before, but once I got pregnant, it really hit me and I just didn't understand why well, this is, this is a sacred process. Why aren't we talking about this is a big deal. Like what do we need to do to allow this being to come in and not screw it up? Like there's a lot of things. So yeah, I uh, I never got over pre being pregnant. I just thought it was the most amazing thing. And then this little tiny baby, he's huge now. You met him when he was little. He's He keeps measuring himself to see if he's taller than me, but he's not quite there yet. But uh, I just, it was, it was amazing. I just never got over it. So this is why I created that program to help. I thought everybody would be wanting to hear this. Like for sure, you want to do the best that you can for your baby. But like you said, it, it creates responsibility, that need for responsibility. And I think it's pretty obvious now that we have been led down the path of giving over our responsibility to other systems and to other people and to, to wait, to be told what to do. Can we go in? Do we go in? Do we go out? What, what, what do we do? Put a mask on? Do we, where should we put our kids for school? You know, where, where should we feed them formula? We don't know where we've lost our, our inner knowing and we don't go within for our answers, we go without. And I think that's why your work is so important because if you are brought into a world through this loving and intentional way, you know you're here and you're, you know you're wanted and you just feel right in the world, right? So that's where I wanna talk about. So what I wanna question before we go into limbic imprint is, when you were doing your work with the water birthing, birthing, and did you did you heal your own birth trauma that way? I hope so. <laughs> okay, okay. So you did. You, I was just wondering if you felt like because I, I I could imagine that just seeing these beautiful births that way would have like you said. I remember a story that you said that there was a thing was a child who watched your movie over and over and over again who had a traumatic birth, and then they convinced themselves that this is the way I was born, and it really healed any of those lingering bits of trauma just from seeing that. So it could be, I could imagine being in that experience would be a very healing experience in its own right. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, you're right. Unfortunately, we're not learning in our history. Wouldn't it be nice if we would just look at 
the way other people make mistakes and not do them and that's not the case <laughs> oh no, it's not we, the case. Um, every generation wants to make their own mistakes and learn on their own um always you know fall and stumble and uh, maybe if you're fortunate get up and learn something from it and um, that's the thing that where i am from it's it was a norm it, it was oppression and scarcity and control was the norm and um pretty early in life i noticed that you can confront the bad guys or you can do some form of aikido with that mm. and i watched a lot of people who were confrontational just disappearing and going you know becoming casualties i've mm. i've seen it all and i somehow i uh, figured out that confrontation is not my path i'm not saying it's bad it's probably was in their spirits agenda and in their calling to you know express their creativity their voting power in that form i'm i'm not judging it i'm just saying it's not my way i instead of confronting and pointing fingers and telling them how bad they are I found a way of start showing the alternative of what we can have instead of what we have, what what we can build instead of just falling asleep, what we can um, experience if we want to or not. You know, again, it's like, well, this is the menu and it's all up to you mm -hmm. because nobody canceled free will and it's their free will to stay on autopilot it's not my responsibility to um, make sure that everybody wakes up it's not possible for me with my just human resources i'm <laughs> i'm just a woman you know and i am doing my best because i know that if i am not frustrated angry activated um frazzled by my uh, um, righteous anger i'm actually a lot more productive and clear and i can see the the bigger picture clearly and then choose my uh responses uh in, in an intelligent way if i'm angry i am just gonna you know smack somebody <laughs> <laughs> it's uh that's not gonna be very satisfying you know it, it's like it's not gonna give me the um the outcome that i actually want Right. It will be just the expression of my anger. Right. So, so the bottom line, do I want to rage and let the steam out or do I want to have the strategy and uh, um, kind of um, clear understanding mm -hmm. of the dynamic of 
evolution of of this situation we're in right right so let's talk about the limbic imprint okay. let's talk what is the limbic imprint when is it formed how does it affect us how does it show up in our lives and then I want to get into what you're seeing with the current measures, the current ways, current fears, and how that can be shaping the limbic imprint. But first, let's go to basics and talk about what that is and what's what's creating it. All right. Well, limbic imprint is an innate um, quality and capacity of our nervous system to register, absorb, and memorize all of our sensory experiences from the moment of conception. So uh, it's something that we are wired to learn very quickly from the very, very beginning. And that imprinting is a very merciful mechanism that nature provided all mammals because um, Mama Bear cannot send her cub to school, give him some books to read and, and kindle here and <laughs> learn how to be a bear. You know, the baby bear learns to be a bear just by absorbing and, and witnessing and being in the field of the mother. What to eat, how to mate, how to fall asleep in winter, you know, it's, and with all uh, all mammals, even birds, uh, even though they're not mammals, but they do have um, rudiments of limbic brain. It's limbic uh, brain is that um, set of chambers. It's not just one spot. It, it's a, a chain of little chambers in the brain between the uh, reptilian brain that is right here and cortex that is the biggest part that is right here limbic brain is right in the middle and it's in charge of our sensory uh, life sensory apparatus itself our ability to feel to sense to love or, or if it's shut down not to love it, it, it's in charge of our emotional life uh, while cortex is in charge of our uh, cognitive functions, our mental life, our ability to be responsible and learn things. Uh, while the reptilian brain is in charge of our physiology, that what, that's what um, pumps the blood and digests food and, and uh, allows us to take a breath the moment we're born. Uh, it, it's... Um, it, 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 our physical body functions um, because we have limbic uh, uh, reptilian brain. That is the oldest part of the brain. It uh, uh, is observed in crocodiles and snakes uh, in dinosaurs. That, that's uh, what happens when the life form comes through. So, uh, so, Ideally, all three parts of the brain need to function in unison. They're supposed to be the team when physiology, the mind and the emotions have common goals and um, say the physiology dictates, I, I, I need something, I, I, I really need something. 
And the limbic brain says, oh yes, and I want what you need. And the cortex says, oh yeah, I'm gonna figure out how to get it happen, how to make it happen, right? So all three are supposed to be very easily uh, connected and um, supportive of each other. But what really happens if we have this uh, birth trauma that disconnects the, um, the limbic part of the brain because we go into this kind of prolonged state of dissociation due to sensory overload that we experience in this early formative part. Everybody knows about that state of dissociation at this point, right? It's that, um, that stupor that a, a, a victim goes into um, when they're exposed to something, um, to something more than they can process. So when you ask some woman who'd been to a car accident, what happened? And she goes, I don't know, I don't remember anything. That's what happens is that limbic part of the brain checks out and memory has emotional nature. We don't really remember things. We remember how we felt about what was happening. That's why you can ask many people about the same thing. They were in the same place, but they would tell different stories mm -hmm. because they are different people and they have different emotional triggers. So it's... Um, very tricky memories are. So that limbic imprint is really responsible for everything that is connected with our emotional um, uh, experiences. Like what we like, what we don't like to eat, to wear, to do, who we like, like what kind of, um, uh, sexual partners we're attracted to and that explains why we're not attracted to others it, it's really deeply rooted in our formative experiences and what we uh, resonate with and what we don't resonate with it, it's really a driving force but it's driving us from a closet. There is very little talk, very little education about how to intelligently approach when you are imprinted with something that you actually don't want in your life, like with neglect or um, inability to, to love. You know, how do we actually uh, overcome that imprint where we're in, whatever we are imprinted on, our nervous system translates as comfort zone. Even mm -hmm. if neglect was experienced, we experienced neglect as comfort zone. This is probably the main piece, right? It's so important to understand that dynamic because uh, with my cortex, I can think, I don't want to be abused, right? But I am limbically imprinted for being abused. Mm -hmm. So it's very difficult to find that 
way out of abusive situation if my nervous system keeps attracting one of them after another and and i don't know how to attract someone who will not abuse me at some point if i really re read books and talk about it and with my cortex begin to understand that I actually don't want that and I am not gonna have it again, right? But then I am exploring relationships with a non-abusive person, but then sex might be very dissatisfactory <laughs> because the, because when you connect with somebody just on the mental level and you're great friends and you're good for each other, but then the bodies don't know how to connect. Then they, they can't overcome that big gap of the absence of attraction, of the actual primal passionate uh, draw that, that makes sex so yummy. <laughs> when is the limbic imprint from so it's from conception until six seven what are the i would not put the number there because for different people it uh, ends at a different time for some people it ends at two for some people it's at seven at some people it's at 70 and for some people it never ends they're imprintable because they never left that uh auto zone you see the the imprinting happens as long as you don't have your own sense of self then you just go by what other people tell you what you are what you should do what you should not do and so on so the imprinting is um on until there is a sense of identity when when the identity becomes a very um very um pronounced within the the, the realm of self-awareness when the child starts starts separating Mm -hmm. this is me this is where i end and my mom begins or my grandma begins and the rest of the world begins behind them so there is that kind of uh, it comes with the understanding of healthy boundaries that some people have um, developed innately i'm not sure what is responsible for that because like for example i was never role modeled healthy boundaries but somehow I developed them. Where they came from, I, don't, I honestly don't know why I was able to manifest that sense of self-awareness. And some people who don't ever have role models of healthy boundaries, they never do. Uh, if I would know the answer to that i probably would apply for nobel prize but, but really it's it's a very very big question because you know where i'm from in siberia there was a lot of 
people released from Gulag and uh, they were not allowed to uh, cross the Ural Mountains that divides the Siberia from the, the western part of Russia where Moscow is. Mm -hmm. So they were kept away from the capital um, behind where I'm from. And I was watching those, um, those people. Some of them came completely broken and disheartened and were kind of buying their time um, dragging their feet and it's like really pathetic looking creatures and some of them became um, educators and, and community leaders and um, they were generating this zest for life that can only come after you have a, a like a close encounter with uh, non-existence it, it, it was a very specific group of people and a few of them be were teachers in my school where uh, i went to and the way they treated us children it basically activated in me something some some ways of survival instincts that were dormant again because of my own severe birth trauma and I really really loved my school going to school and um, being exposed to those teachers it was vitally important and this is why I'm really concerned about the, the absence of the school system right now you know if you have bad school and good home you're lucky because then you just get to be nurtured and cared for uh, at home and be provided with everything and I'm talking about the kids these days with school closed and but if your home is something you're really just enduring and school was your only salvation That's a tragedy. That's a tragedy because if I only had my home, I probably would, I'm 100% sure that I wouldn't be talking to you right now. Wow. But my school, my teachers, uh, amazing people that I um, encountered that were in charge of my desire to learn, desire to think for myself. Mm -hmm. that was really important for me nice so what does it look like to create the healthiest limbic imprint what does biology expect to have that healthy emotional brain what would that look like and what are what are we seeing and what do you see in people and how can you tell that somebody hasn't been breastfed how can you tell that. like what what how does that make itself known uh, well um look around most of the people that we see outside in the grocery stores and on tv on our leaders most of them carry the signs of severe birth trauma and lack of um, loving kindness 
in their childhood is I've been doing this for 38 years. <laughs> I, at this point, I'm looking at somebody and I can basically tell. So what are the signs? What are some signs? The body language, the, um, uh, the way they breathe, the way they express, gesticulate, the, 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 the facial expressions. I, I mean, it's visible um, instantly. And then again, if you look at non-traumatized children, you can also see it with untrained eyes that, oh, this is the child who is at home in this body. They make eye contact completely um, clear, fearless. They are comfortable in their body, in this world, in their home with other people. They are open, they're curious, they have um, excitement. Mm. In, in their eyes. They are quick, you know, they're witty. They're not necessarily uh, obeying the rules and um, learn the way um, they're supposed to. They might have their own way of learning things. It, that's not what I meant by quick. They're quick um, in, in um, like, in the feedback that they receive from, the, they're instantly um, able to, to assess the situation. Like I, I had this, um, downstairs I have this beautiful stained glass lamp that um, it's just really beautiful, but it's actually plastic. It's not glass. It, it, and I was wrestling with my granddaughter. She's three years old. And my finger touched like ping. And she said, oh, that's plastic. She's three. Like, right. who notices? That? <laughs> and, and oh my God, she knew that it's supposed to be glass. You know, there was so much in that. Right. little interaction she instantly gave me the her verdict you know and <laughs> I was not aware at three <laughs> that it could be plastic or glass it's like you know there is this kind of uncanny ability that they have of of checking in with they have a reference point. This is my, okay, this is my latest favorite definition. They are their own reference point. Mm. Asking the adult to tell them uh, how they should feel, uh, how things supposed to be. They have that um, tuning fork inside of them that allows them to know what's right, what's not right, where's up and down. That's the thing, why we have such a large segment of population that is um, waiting for them to be told because during their formative period, that ability was extracted. It, it was right. literally, they didn't, 
Okay, no, I'm putting it uh, into the victim mentality terms. It was not activated. You know, okay. they just had such comfortable life in terms that everything was put in front of them. So they never had to start thinking for themselves. Right. There was never a moment of activation. Um, like I remember uh, my grandmother sent me uh, to pick berries to the forest. I was six. She gave me a big jar and said, come back when the jar is full. And it was hot day and there are mosquitoes in the forest. And I was like, mm, whining, <laughs> I want to go there and I will get lost. And, I, and, and she said something very matter of factly. It's like, why would you get lost? Are you stupid or something? It was not even loving. It was not even um, like, I'm going to activate her sense of direction. But it's just that little phrase. And all of a sudden, bing, I'm not stupid. I'm not right. going to get lost. It, so sometimes it's just this little thing that somebody says under their breath. And all of a sudden, bing, there is something. Some lights went on inside your head. <laughs> and, and it doesn't have to be a big, you know, let's schedule uh, a, an appointment to activate your sense of rhythm. Yes, that is the option. But sometimes it's just taking a kid to African drum circle. Mm. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be uh, like, it, it just needs exposure to different experiences to different people to different opportunities to uh, like hear different opinions different um, takes because when a child is just at home with parents the vocabulary is getting uh, old very fast you know that vocabulary of activations it's the okay. same for people and the child uh, gets out of them everything they could get out of them the first year of life. The first year? Oh, wow. That's not very long. <laughs> no. So can we go back from, say, conception to, say, the first few years? What are the elements that would contribute to a healthy limbic imprint? Well, from the start, if uh, uh, from the start, actually, if we go to the very beginning to like train the birthing Olympic team, right? <laughs> it needs to start before conception. Mm -hmm. It needs to start a few months before conception because the quality of the egg and the sperm are defined by uh, the choices the couple makes. Uh, in this last few months, what they eat, whether they exercise or not, um, what is the basic modus operandi, you know, do they um, love each other? That is a big difference. Turns out it's a big difference. Turns out that the main source of negative imprint is conflict between the mother and the father during pregnancy. Mm. The child is absorbing all of that. So in preparation for conscious conception, all of the kinks need to be worked out. Like bring yourself into some kind of really optimum state of 
being uh, through uh, cleaning up your diet and, and um, nurturing yourself to uh, a point of the sperm and the egg being in their like fullest activation. That makes sense, right? Right, yeah. So then turns out the conception itself is actually quite uh, impactful. If it's just uh, an accident and due to rape, that's one set of activation. If it's absolutely mm. fantastic, it, it, high you know that this magical tantric erotic union that um, takes them both into the unknown heights mm -hmm. that's a completely different imprint and um, then of course through gestation what choices is she making diet wise exercise wise the quality of intimacy, the quality of presence for each other and being on the same page as far as what are we going to do after the child is born? Mm. Are we going to, um, you know, all the choices, the, um, how we're going to take care of each other sexually because a woman might not be sexual for quite a long time after giving birth. Uh, and that becomes a source of uh, majority of conflicts. So in that place, it would be good before the baby comes to have a discussion because then it will be too late mm -hmm. because then it will be already, you know, layered over sleepless nights and, and, um, a pile of dishes in the sink and and you know it, it's uh, uh, all the hormonal roller coaster that she's going through after the birth um, and feeling not very sexy with milk dripping from her nipples it, it's really um, it, it's really the couple needs to think about uh, neutralizing as many possible um, conflict zones as possible. So whether we're going to circumcise the child or not, whether we're going to um, baptize or bring it up in specific religion or not, whether I'm going right back to work and you stay home uh, with the child or vice versa, it, the, all of that needs to, be addressed and and, uh, uh, and the more communication skills and kind of um, code words for red flags establish you know that's just basic relationship 101 uh, when we are aware that our conflict is going to affect the baby so what are we going to do in order to create a, a peaceful, harmonious environment. And we can't eliminate all of that. And we need to remember that a certain amount of stress is actually stimulating and activating. It's implied, you know, out there in nature, there is no such thing as peaceful environment. There is always some kind of, you know, situations out there in the nature when our, um, brain is wired to um, handle, overcome, comprehend, and, and so on. It's really um, 
it's really not about the absence of conflict zone. It's about um, learning to resolve them and not having them predominant. Because if there is uh, just short spikes of uh, adrenaline in her blood, that's stimulating. If there is a basic, right. a constant thumb, a, a, a constant, uh, what's the word in English? Um, like a plateau or yeah, a constant yeah. level of um, presence of stress hormones, then the whole process of development goes into uh, a completely different mode, goes into uh, delayed responses, delayed developmental stages. And if it's really delayed and delayed and delayed, some big pieces are going to be skipped entirely because you know we're building this part and the war came we dropped building we're surviving everything is on hold and then when the the storm passed uh and it's already time to start building some other parts in the body so that part never got finished wow so that's why we have babies with missing pieces because there was something happening at the time when that body part was supposed to be developing the resources were uh, uh, arrested okay and if it's not you know severe to the point of missing body parts then it's at the expense uh, at the expense of uh, things that are not um, vital for surviving you know the, the the reptilian brain is gonna take his it's like the physiology is gonna keep building then the cortex is gonna take his because we need the brain but the feely touchy part might might not get activated properly mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then, okay, so then you've got the birth, the, the pregnancy, and then there's the birthing process. So what, I mean, this is the movement that you were involved with, and there must have been a reason for moving birth to the water, to the sea with dolphins and what, why? So yeah. what about that? Yeah, well, um, it was um, very clear that um, the, the birth itself kind of, um, it is like um, a cherry on the cake. It, it reflects the quality of gestation. It, it kind of, um, it's bound to be complicated if there was complicated pregnancy. And it's, if the pregnancy was quite smooth, then there is no reason for complications to arise because all the complications that are not mechanical in nature or chemical and were just psychological or emotional they could be um, prevented in birth um, as far as the labor itself goes so if we have a good birth but then um, premature cutting of the cord i cannot emphasize how bad it is uh, overemphasize how bad it is for a baby because you know baby just was in the birth canal everything is quite um 
quite folded inside. It, it's just, you know, tight. So we need a moment for the lungs to relax and open. Mm -hmm. And when the cord uh, is being clamped immediately, right after uh, emergence into this world, then the baby is forced to take the first breath into the lungs that are still folded. Mm -hmm. And that's abuse. That's child abuse. It's excruciating pain and um, absolutely unnecessary. And it's extremely traumatic. That shifts the baby into that state of dissociation because that's a, a sensory overload that this brand new baby, so warm and soft and, and helpless, cannot process. It doesn't have a reference point to that kind of experience. Everything was so warm and soft and sweet inside and all of a sudden there comes in this uh, shocking pain. And uh, uh, I don't get it. why they do it because there is absolutely no reason to do it other than, you know, the conveyor method and doctors are on schedule and there is uh, the next woman, the next woman. But nurses could do it. Doctor doesn't have to do it. I, I mean, it, it's really bizarre because if you just gently put the baby um, face down and slightly elevate the, the hips and then all that amniotic fluid will just drain out and the, the lungs will start uh, opening gently and in its own time and and you you can hold the umbilical cord until it stops pulsing which means that all the blood which up to like a third to two-thirds of baby's blood is still in the placenta when they wow. yeah so we need to wait for all that blood to go into the baby and it's this baby's blood. You have no right, right. To, to cut it off. You know, it's like, imagine somebody comes to you and drains two thirds of your blood. How would you feel about it? Okay. Or, or, or just come to you and shove this blue, what is it called, syringe, up your nose really high and, and, and start okay. pumping out. It, it's things we do to those babies we would never agree to somebody do it to us, but babies are up to hundred times more sensitive than we are because they're brand new. Their their senses are not dulled yet by all the um, sensory overload that we have at this point in our lives, and it's uh, it's basically not just disrespectful to human beings, the way babies are treated in the maternity ward, it's just downright harmful. It's really harmful, especially when they start sticking needles or even when they start just cleaning those babies. Yes. Then like a kitchen counters when their skin is so tender and, and uh, um, soft and, and of course, the separation from the mother, that's major abuse. The absence of breastfeeding, it's 
There is a beautiful um, article by William Emerson that is called uh, Birth Trauma, colon, Side Effects of Obstetrical Intervention. He, he published it in 1998, and it's just a wealth of information about this all the kinds of specific kinds of birth trauma in the maternity wards and what kind of behavioral and emotional patterns they generate it's a very it's like a really big deal it's a really big deal and in spite of being published in 1998 it's still not part of the mandatory curriculum in medical schools, which is um, don't get me started. On that. <laughs> oh, I'm sure I know there's a lot there. That's the thing. This information isn't new. And I think it's actually very well known by the powers that be that might want to keep humanity where they are, right? If you're born into your comfort zone and you're born under a very oppressive regime, well, they probably know that you're born in your comfort zone. Why would you want to support pregnant women? Because then you're going to have people that you're going to have to, you know, keep down. And it's probably easier to keep them down if they're born into that. Well, that's the thing. The exploitation of limbic imprint was known to man for thousands and thousands of years. That's what uh, man understood very early in our history, that if you take a wild horse, you can't make a war horse out of them. You have to take the baby right. and introduce them to war activity and then they don't object. Same with camels, with circus bears, with basically- uh, Elephants, right? Elephants that are just tied to a stake, right? And they, they could easily pull it away. But they yeah. don't. But that's, they don't. The, that's exactly- um, and we have the same type of brain. So if you introduce a person to a specific uh, scarcity mentality and neglect, and um, then they don't object. Right. So now I also think like with the skin to skin, the breastfeeding, that, that being close, not separating yeah. from sleeping and all that yeah. and, and it's all rooted in this <clears throat> uh, mechanism of dissociation that when the baby is put in the dire straits the circumstances that the nervous system cannot process the nervous system goes into that state of dissociation and then to bring the baby out of that state it requires a lot of skill patience, knowledge to, to work your way into helping the baby finally relax and occupy the, the extremities and the body and, and you know all the cells of the body. It, it's um, every language has the, some equivalent of um, you scared the, the soul out of me right right. Oh, right. Yeah. How does it in English? Uh, well, there is something in, in, in it, that's direct translation from Russia. Right. Oh, you scared my soul out of me. And that is exactly what happens. Something separates. The soul is the heart. The soul is our 
our our emotion the, the soul is our beautiful ability to be in the heart in the presence connect from heart to heart soul to soul that that is what gets disconnected the emotions uh, are very much about being in, in in touch with what the heart feels and so I expect yeah. that if you don't do that work then you risk never reassociating those together unless in your later years you consciously would make that effort like so for example like through your birth job where we recoded our limbic imprint right to perhaps create yeah. a reality for ourselves yeah do something you know if you know that something is missing then there is more chance that you will go on a search and start finding the answers what can you do to reconnect all the pieces within yourself because when we are in that state of dissociation we're like that computer that needs to be defragmented you know we are all uh, different fragments there is my mind and there is my body and they have different needs and my body wants to rest and sleep and eat and my brain says no go to work no you need to talk to your boss no you need to you know um, finish this project you can't go rest because you have to stay on the task stay you know together it's very um it's very um, difficult to bring them to work together after they've been separated. Right. It's, uh, but it's really important to bring it together because um, we're very inefficient when we are fragmented. Mm. We're very vulnerable. We are unsafe when we're fragmented. Because when we are in alignment with all our system, um, it, it has a very strong uh, protective field, if you wish. That it's like the whole system is engaged and loving it. And, and it feels very um, right to be in the body at this time on this planet with all the the crazy stuff happening, but uh, all of a sudden, when I'm in alignment within myself, I know that I was born for this. I, I, this is my place. There is no accident. I'm not complaining. I'm not blaming. I am um, finding a way of being a maximum present for myself and for those in my reach that I really can make a difference in, in I, I can hold that bubble and hold that bubble around those I love. So, okay, so now we're in this time and I know we're we're getting close to our time. Well, we were probably, we're done our time, but let's just, just quickly, I really wanna to touch on women are told to have their baby here. They've been told to have their babies behind a partition. If they're not breastfeeding, to breastfeed them while they're wearing a mask. Children are walking around inside, outside with masks on. They're being told that they could be the cause of the death of their parents or grandparents. They are, you know, sanitizing and being taught that things are dangerous to touch and you need to be clean. Uh, you know, they're limiting the way kids interact with one another. All of these things. What do you see 
this impact being if, and I know we're resilient, we, we can go through some hardships, but this is already well beyond what I thought it would go. Like it, it's a long time. And there doesn't seem to be any, any uh, end in sight. Like our, the city to the North, Edmonton, they've already voted their mask mandate to stay in until December, 2021. They've already voted that in. 2021, <laughs> exactly. How the, the crystal ball that they used for that, I have no idea. So there's no temporariness, temporariness, if you can say that, built into this. This is all about permanence. We can, we can see it in the, the marketing. We could see it in everything. It's in, the, it's in the curriculum, for goodness sake. So how do you see this impacting the current generation going through this from a very young age? I don't see. This is something like completely, we're in uncharted territory. And I don't know. There's, um, you see, my, my deep knowing is in the benevolence of the universe. This is my basic premise. And everything that we are facing either activates the spirit or gives it another chance to come back. So this is my basic premise. So I am not entertaining the horror stories. My commitment is to staying present to what is right now and dealing with you know we'll cross that bridge when we get there i am not gonna keep scaring myself it's um it's uh very easy to slip into depression and kind of i give up and i'm just gonna go back to Russia, <laughs> it's, well, figuratively speaking. Right. But um, I am doing my best to prevent this from happening by grounding in my knowing that human spirit will prevail. One way or the other, it always does even though civilizations vanish, ethnic groups vanish because there comes a point, there is a lifespan on, on everything, including big ethnic groups, like ancient Ellen population of Athens and, and ancient Greece. It's not the same Greek people that live right now it's a completely different ethnic group and ancient romans they did not become italians it's a completely different ethnic group that lives on the, the same territory right now same with egypt so same with sumerian valley same as with russia Et ethnic um, group has a lifespan and normally it's about a thousand years but some, uh, um, well, ethnos, 
is the word for ethnic group. So there is um, some ethnic groups that live longer and some of them live a lot less. Like some people live to 100 years old, some people die at one or two. So it's a natural process. Human body doesn't have a very long shelf line. If, even if it's 100 years old, it's a speck of time. So what we need to remember is focus on how can we honestly live every minute of that lifespan that we have right now and do the most out of it. When it ends, nobody knows. It, it's, um, there is a taboo on looking into the future. Mm. We're not meant to see what's coming. So do you have any advice for parents of young children at all right now and how to help them along and just maintain a healthy mind, a healthy yeah. emotional state? Yeah. Um, with the absence of the um, access to the, the out, outside world, go within. What else is there? It's um, the main advice is connect, connect with yourself, connect with that power that brought you into existence in the first place. And from that place, connect with your child, with your spouse, activate that place in them. It's not about, uh, you know, who is doing the dishes today, even though that is, of course, important, but that comes from that place of remembering who you are. Nothing else will give comfort. Comfort only comes from that intimate connection with the source however you want to call it, however you want to experience it, remember where you're from. Remember, re re allow yourself to remember what brought you into this experience of walking the earth right now. What, what was the intention of your spirit to own a body at this time? and do whatever it takes to recover that ability, to stay in, in alignment with uh, that recovered attention to the importance of you being on this planet right now. Because only from that place, you can step lightly, fearlessly, and make choices regardless, regarding your um, daily activities, um, how to surf that wave with maximum benefit to you and those in your care. Okay. 
Okay. So I think that's what I wanted to end with is thank you, Elena. This, uh, your work is so powerful. You, we were talking before, you're not doing any workshops this year. You have some on the books for next year. So I'm hoping that that work can continue for you. If anybody is interested in learning about Elena's work and what she does and even going through it for yourself, I have been there firsthand and I know what it's like. And it's an amazing way to recode that nervous system and to move your life in a different direction. Not that maybe you're going in a bad direction, but really open yourself up to the full opportunities of why you're here in the first place. So look her up at birthintobeing.com and you will find all sorts of information on there, on birthing, on the Olympic imprint, on I'm sure all sorts of other things. Is there anything else you wanna to add to what they can find on your website or your resources that you would like them to look at? Uh, there are hours and hours of my interviews and I would highly recommend watching um, the video because it has some kind, I can't even take credit for it, but it gives a direct transmission of healing of birth trauma, which I found out from hundreds of uh, letters of gratitude from people from 58 countries that uh, were testifying to that effect that just watching that film was um, activating something in them that was uh, dormant at this point and you can see the whole thing uh, uh, through buying the link on my site um, uh, buying the download or uh, some portion of it like a third of it is on youtube channel if you find um 29 minute version of birth as we know it on youtube you can see for yourself mm -hmm. beautiful beautiful a very different a very different version of birth than what we've been led to believe in the media so thank and you that, Lena, really yeah, that's the thing if a pregnant woman can go from that place of being absolutely terrified of giving birth Mm -hmm. into the, the shifting into that place of giving birth and ecstasy and and bliss you know why can't we all yeah too late for me unfortunately but uh for many many well, no no oh, because okay. uh you can still do that even if it's not related to giving birth you can right. do this process to um change the way you give birth to your projects to your ah. dinners, to your relationships to yeah. your garden to your yeah. you, you know your evening with your beloved you can change the way you generate outcome with any project because baby it's just another project you're creating and okay. you can birth it either like pulling your hair. <laughs> it's like, oh my God, I'm trying to write this book and it's just not happening. It's just, I have writer's block. Same thing, writer's block is rooted in the birth trauma. Okay, that's okay. Good, good reminder. Yes, many things are birth, not just babies. So thank you, Elena. I really appreciate your time. Everybody, I hope you appreciate this interview i think uh this work is more important than ever before so we can really remember who we are and what we're here for so 
Thank you. I really appreciate that. And that's it for now. Okay, bye. Thank you.